0: One, if you can hit follow or subscribe to this podcast, that really helps me track new listeners. Cheers. This week on the podcast, I welcome Vidat Mizrahi, who is the CFO and CIO of Mintus, which is an alternative investment platform that focuses on fine art. Now, I've covered art as an investment asset class in a previous episode way back in March, but that was a solo episode. So it's great to have an expert come and join me this week to get more into the detail about the role art can play within a portfolio. In addition to Mintus, Vedat has a PhD in finance. He used to work in wealth management for high net worth clients. And he's also a part-time visiting lecturer at the King's College London. So I picked Vedat's brains on a wide range of wealth and investment topics. And I can guarantee that this episode will make you a better and smarter investor. As always, it's important to remember that The Wealth Journal is not financial advice. It's purely here for information and educational purposes. Anything discussed should not be considered as an investment advice or an investment recommendation. And of course, please make sure that you do your own research before making any investment decision, or better yet, speak with a qualified investment professional or financial advisor. Now with that out of the way, let's get cracking. (laughs) So, for that, welcome to the Wealth Journal podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So first of all, I'd just like to start with a bit of an introduction into into you into who you are, a bit around your maybe your background, sort of your experiences, and eventually what led you to start working for Mintus
1: yeah sure. I started my career in management consultancy at Deloitte uh, when I graduated from my uh, MBA. Uh, I did that for two years and then uh, with my passion in the investing in the investing world, uh, I looked for jobs uh, on the on the brokerage side and and then I joined Deutsche Bank as an equity research analyst. I started covering different sectors and emerging markets and I've learned a lot uh, covering different industries uh doing valuation on different uh, different companies and i really loved uh, loved that job because it gave me a lot of experience and breadth of knowledge um i've done that for eight years at deutsche and uh almost six years at another investment bank uh mostly on equity and credit research sites i've took uh uh, I participated in IPOs, SPOs, uh, block placements, helped out M&A uh, deals as well uh, during my my career. Uh, then I got an offer from a, from a wealth management a Swiss wealth manager, and I decided to change course. And I said, I was, I always, I've been in the in the kitchen, providing in my investment advice for institutional investors. Uh, now I'll try uh, to sell these ideas uh, to high net worth individuals um i switched to wealth management uh the swiss bank uh, bank J for Saracen, uh covering high net worth individuals in emerging markets um i've started structuring their portfolios advising on uh on different uh asset classes uh the portfolios that have come to me was mostly classic portfolios combined of bonds and equities and a little bit of commodities uh, I've tried to educate uh, my clients, investors uh, on different products. Uh, I've added alternative investments into their portfolios and showed them how uh, these investments have actually improved the risk-adjusted returns on their uh, on their portfolio. Um, I did that for three and a half years. Uh, and uh, almost six months ago, uh, in the last investment round of Mintus, uh, I uh, get to know the founder and CEO of Mintus, Tom uh who is ex-Microsoft. And I love the idea uh, of Mintus, which we'll go into more detail today. Uh, and I invested in the last round. So uh, after that, uh, we started talking to him and he said, I mean, why don't you join us? I mean, help us uh, build uh, this this product and, and help us distribute. And I've Decided to leave the bank uh, earlier uh, this year uh, in 2022 um, and joined as CFO slash CTO. So I have two hats. Um, I'm responsible for all the finances and also for all the distribution of, uh, of, of Mintus. So uh, total, I mean, 16 years in uh, investment banking and wealth management. And uh, recently uh, at a startup was uh, engaged in alternative investments.
0: Amazing, great, <laughs> impressive career, and I know we'll, we'll come on to Minto's in a second. And as you was talking about your career, then it did it did sort of get me thinking. And it's a question that I've asked quite a few guests on this podcast, and certainly with your experience working with high net worth individuals and as uh, in wealth management, can you sort of give me an idea of what does what does wealth mean to to you?
1: Um, I mean, that's a very uh, uh... Hard, hard question because it's it's very I mean highly relative. Uh, I mean for me, uh, wealth uh, includes more than money or your liquid uh, assets. Uh, it includes illiquid assets and uh, assets I mean that you cannot uh, quantify, like your uh, family friends and your uh, network. and uh, um, you may not value them uh, highly today. But over the long term, uh, they'll bring you, I mean, bring you the most uh, success uh, and and happiness, uh, in my opinion. In terms of, I mean, uh, putting in numbers for some clients, I mean, they think they are wealthy if they have a million. Uh, I've come across, I mean, uh, investors uh, who are not happy with with, with 10 million. I mean, it's just like the, the... the human nature, I guess. I mean, people always want uh, want more and like to acquire more. Uh, uh, but I've also witnessed that, I mean, uh, the liquid wealth and happiness are not correlated. And I think we'll, we're going to talk about correlation as well uh, in this episode.
0: Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Thank, thanks for sharing. So Mintus, who are Mintus? Tell us a little bit more about Mintus.
1: Uh, Mintus was established two years ago. Uh, by, uh, Tamar Usman. Uh, he's the founder and CEO, uh, of the company. Uh, he was leading, uh, Microsoft's, uh, advanced technologies division and he left to set up, uh, Mintus. Uh, I mean, he was, uh, very much interested in the blockchain and the distributed ledger technology and the fractionalization of assets. And, uh, he initially, uh, thought that, uh, about i mean different asset classes and which could be fractionalized, and there were already platforms that fractionalized real estate uh v c s private equity funds, and there are a few on the on the art space and um, and I mean, given that art uh is is a very large market which hasn't been disrupted according to some reports for four hundred and twelve years i don't know where that number comes from. Uh, but, I mean, uh, according to a UBS report that I've read, uh, it's, it's not been disrupted. Disrupted in the sense that, I mean, the asset class has been changing hands only between the super uh, super rich. Uh, there are a uh, few intermediaries in the system. Uh, it's not, I mean, as competitive as investment banks or brokerage firms. There are still incredible amount of uh, transaction uh, transaction fees. So the asset that you buy, a painting uh, you buy uh, from an auction is uh, valued 25% lower the next day. The reason being the buyer pays 20-25% uh, premium on the hammer, hammer price. So huge fees uh, that haven't been uh, disrupted. So um, in order to uh, fractionalize art, obviously you need to be able to access, access that art. So, uh, with Mentis, we uh, signed consignment agreements uh, with uh, very large contemporary art collectors. And consignment agreements mean that we first raise funds to buy an artwork uh, from them. So, we don't tie up any capital uh, to buy the artwork. We first do the fundraise uh, for the artwork. And once we reach the agreed value of the artwork, we then exchange uh, uh, money and the assets. And thereby, our investors become fractional owners of a specific piece of art. Um, when we look at the arts markets, it's a huge market. The annual transactions, according to 2021 statistics, was globally $65 billion. In the UK, it was $11 billion. And this is either true auction houses, galleries, brokers, or to private sales. I mean, it could be even, I mean, larger, but this is the recorded and publicly available, uh, available data. So if two friends exchange artwork between themselves, we wouldn't know uh, the value or I mean, transaction value for that. Um, and if you could look at, I mean, think about the fees that go on this uh, market, it's also in the range of uh, billions. Um, so there is a lot of uh, uh, efficiency that can be created by disrupting this market, and also it's m- more important from a uh, from a social uh, social aspect. Uh, it's an asset class that uh, changes hands only. I mean, within a handful. I mean, uh, not handful, but I mean, uh, low number of uh, investors. Yeah. So, by fractionalization, we're actually. Democratizing this uh, this asset class. I mean, we're really lowering the entry barriers uh, to uh, to the contemporary art world. So, I mean, who can buy an Andy Warhol painting worth five million dollars today? I mean, uh, I wouldn't recommend one of my clients, even who had fifty million dollars to allocate ten percent of their portfolio to Andy Warhol, because by doing that, so you are, I mean, getting a significant amount of unique risk. Yeah. Uh, of a certain asset class, and in a certain asset class, a certain specific artwork. Uh, when you do equity portfolios, you diversify. You create a diversified portfolio. That just don't put your uh, put all your uh, equity portfolio, portfolio in one one stock. So, for someone to be able to buy a five million dollar Andy Warhol, I think he or she needs to have hundreds of millions uh, of dollars. So, with Mentis. Uh, we are making, uh, these, this inaccessible asset class accessible to, uh, most, most people. Um, our minimum investment, uh, at Mintus is, uh, 2,500, uh, pounds. So anyone who has, uh, a few hundred thousand, uh, dollars in liquid investments can create his or her own uh, contemporary art portfolio and benefit from the increase in the in the value of this asset class. Um, why art? Uh, again, it's it's I mean it's uh, it's destined to be uh, disrupted. Uh, huge fees, uh, very high entry barriers, and last of all, I mean uh, I mean history is not an indicator for future performance. But historical returns have been amazing. Mm. I mean, if you look at the past uh, 40 years, if you look at uh, an index like the LiveArt index, it shows over 50x return over the past 40 years. And if you look at s and it was 20x over the same period of time. So that actually outperformed s by 240%. And most people can't benefit from that increase in value. Yeah. So... Uh, we're hoping that I mean, that performance will continue because it's a scarce asset. So Andy Warhol cannot produce unfortunately any more paintings. Uh, There are, I mean, thousands of them, but I mean, in terms of numbers, it's still much, I mean, lower compared to uh, the number of stocks uh, or bonds that you can purchase. And, we see new companies going public or uh, companies issuing bonds every every day. So there is no scarcity on the classic asset classes, but there is on art. Obviously, there is there are new uh, artists and new paintings as well. But, I mean, for blue chip art, which we are trying to uh, fractionalize here, uh, there's definitely a scarcity value, which will probably help uh, long-term uh decent uh returns
0: yeah absolutely and i i've seen some of the stats surrounding the art market versus the P 500 and some some other indexes i guess the beauty like you said is that the more accessible that market comes you'd hope to see that trend you know continue although you can never know what's going to happen in the future but um i guess what i like about Platforms like Mintus is that you can invest in art, but in a much easier way than if you was to actually hold the physical painting as well. Because I guess you've got to worry about where it's going to be stored, the security of the product, and things like that. Whereas investing through um, you know through a platform and buying fractional pieces, it takes a lot of that risk away.
1: Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, some people would want to hold. I mean, put an Andy Warhol on their walls, but unfortunately, most people cannot i mean uh, because of the i mean high value uh of these of these assets but as you've mentioned there are significant costs associated with that as well so for example for insurance uh we're paying 0.6 percent per annum for insurance uh for each artwork so if it's five million dollars you need to pay thirty thousand dollars on the insurance for storage you'll have to pay if you are I mean storing in a climatized storage as we do, you'll pay another fifteen thousand. If you want to move that painting from one location to another, maybe you'll pay another 15 to twenty thousand dollars. So there are huge costs associated with that. And uh, with Mintus, uh, we cover all those costs. so it's all included in the price. So we don't charge any management fees or any additional costs for our investors, they just buy a fraction of the painting and hopefully, When we exit from this painting, uh, two to three years from now, sometimes longer, uh, they'll just get uh, the returns. Um, We have a performance fee similar to private equities. Uh, Private equities usually work with a 220 model. We don't have any management fees, so there's no two. It's 020. Um, So if we can sell this uh, painting, I mean, let's talk about Andy Warhol that we've launched with $5 million painting. Uh, if we set it for $10 million, hopefully three years from now, then of the $5 million profit, we'll take 20% performance fee and we'll redistribute $9 million uh, to our investors. So that will be their, uh, their return. So if, the, if we can achieve 100% return, the investors will uh, achieve 80% return on their uh, portfolio. Obviously, these are all hypothetical numbers. Nothing. I, I mean, uh, there's no guidance on
0: that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what is the process when it comes to to, uh, to selling? And I guess how investors should you know, their mindset towards that. Like you said, it's potentially more of a a longer term hold. It's I guess it's fairly illiquid in some ways. You're sort of waiting for the right period to to sell. And when when do you decide the right time to sell? It
1: is, it is fairly uh, illiquid. Uh, that's why, I mean, it shouldn't be a significantly large portion of someone's uh, portfolio. Um, as a wealth manager, in the past, I've recommended my uh, clients, uh, investors, uh, to allocate uh, around 20 to 30% of their uh, liquid wealth into alternatives. Alternatives being, it could be hedge funds, it could be private equity, private debt, private real estate, all relatively illiquid uh, funds or, or, or vehicles. And uh, arts was not very accessible. There are a handful of uh, art funds, but I mean, uh, there are uh, s- uh, still uh, high minimums to get into those funds. The fees are quite high. And those art funds usually buy the arts from the auction houses, paying those, uh, those premiums so uh, first of all we don't pay those premiums uh actually our collectors sell uh in order not to pay those uh, fees so uh, the fees are not embedded in the price that we're i mean uh, uh, doing the ipo of each artwork um, but it's it's a fairly illiquid and uh, long-term investments uh, according to our key method documentation uh, the holding period is two to seven uh, years. Uh, and during that uh, timeframe, our investment committee continuously analyzes the specific artists and their artwork, their auction history, their private sale history. And also, I mean, uh, in talks with the uh, the collectors of these uh, pieces. Um, and based on their uh, findings, when they think the time and the value is right, they will exit from the from the painting. So, as the investment manager, uh, Mentis uh, makes the final decision on when to exit uh, from a from a painting. And uh, when it does, all the investors uh, will be, I mean, uh, will have to sell at the same time. So, uh, there are two types of uh, shares. Uh, Mentis uh, has an A type share, uh, which doesn't have any value. Uh, it gives Mintus the, the right to make decisions on behalf of the investors. And investors have B-type shares, which only has uh, a value uh, proportional to their shareholder holding in the uh, in the artwork. Um, but for people uh, who needs uh, liquidity, Mintus plans to operate uh, a secondary market as well. Uh, the secondary market will work as a bulletin uh, board. Uh, investors uh, who want to exit from their uh, investment in specific artwork may put their uh, uh, interests uh, on our platform, and if there are any buyers for those shares, they can be uh, they can uh, liquidate their investments. But there is no guarantee uh, for uh, for liquidation. I mean, my view is uh, treat it as a long-term investment uh from my experience long term investments have always uh generated better returns than than short term uh investments or multiple short term investments uh some people may uh, achieve quick gains in the short term but over the long term uh, those quick gain, gains uh do not add up to uh the to significant uh, significant numbers and i've experienced that 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 personally
0: yeah yeah, it's, uh, I think I'm the same as well. To be honest, uh, definitely the long term, the long term approach, which is why I've been interested in investing in art as well. So, I know the listeners will know that I've previously invested in um, in art through a, a competitive platform, uh, Masterworks. But I was going to ask you sort of what makes Mintus unique to its competitors. I know we don't have to go into too much detail to, towards your competitors, but I think for me, I was actually quite excited to see that there's a firm based in the uk offering this obviously masterworks are, are based in the in the us so it's great that there's a there's an organization now set up in the in the uk offering this service
1: um masterworks is a is a great co- company uh they are pioneers uh in this in this market uh they're mostly focused on the us they are sec regulated uh we're in the uk we're fca regulated uh and uh we plan to, I mean, uh, market it uh, globally uh, in a short period of uh, period of time. So, in terms of regulation, there is a little bit of uh, difference. In terms of uh, structure, uh, as far as I know, I mean, they do buy the paintings, so they do allocate some capital to the pay- paintings. Uh, Mintas is very capital light. We have consignment agreements and we don't buy the painting and then sell the painting, adding a markup on it. Uh, So we agree on a price and we IPO the painting uh, on that price. Another important uh, difference is for us, trust and transparency is at the top of our priority list. So in order to create some transparency, we decided to do independent valuation reports for each artwork we put on our platform. So we use a global uh, firm uh, who does uh, artwork appraisal, and they also authenticate uh, the arts. I mean, they I mean uh, write a, uh, I mean, a report uh, that shows that this artwork is authentic, and we put uh, this is called the condition report. And we have a separate valuation report, so we put the valuation report and the condition report on our uh, on our website and the investors can see uh, at what valuation that uh, i mean uh, the independent appraisers valued that uh specific artwork so for example Andy the warhol that we are uh, currently uh, uh selling is uh, at five million dollars mark we converted that into pounds so it's... uh Around 3.8 million pounds. The independent valuation for the specific artwork and the Andy Warhol self-portrait is 6.8 million dollars. So, uh, with Mintus, investors have a reference point because most people don't know the real value of these uh, artworks. So, they they are not sure whether they are buying at the right price and whether they will make a profit. When uh, the company exits from that artwork two to three years from now or five years from now, so uh, by selling at a discount to the independent valuation, we are creating that buffer, uh, some form of uh, return, hoping that it won't go below that independent valuation. It could happen, uh, but at least there is a reference point. That's that's also uh, that's also quite uh, important, and uh, we also incentivize advice um, our uh, our suppliers uh to sell uh to i mean give us uh decent uh, decent artwork uh because we not only they benefit from uh not paying any fees when selling but we also share uh, our performance fees with our uh with our sellers so for us uh, uh the investors should be aligned throughout the supply chain and as Mintus, we are not paid until we Generate profit for our investors. Uh, our sole revenue is performance for, uh, at the at the exit. So we are motivated to buy at a at a good price and sell hopefully uh, in a decent period of time at a at a at a higher price. Uh, I mean, that's our value proposition.
0: Yeah, and how have you found life working for for a startup? Has it has it been has it been easy? What have you what have been your biggest challenges so far?
1: It's it's very exciting. Uh, I've always worked at large, large institutions where there are lots of I mean policies, procedures, there's bureaucracy. Uh, everyone knows I mean uh, what to do or who to go to and, and 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 the process. And that makes large institutions inefficient. and I find the I mean startup world significantly more efficient. Uh, you can change, I mean, uh, views or make decisions, uh, much, uh, much quicker. Uh, but I mean, uh, you also need some, uh, organization, some policies and procedures. I think that will be developed over time. So sometimes, I mean, some tasks or issues, I mean, may not be covered by, uh, someone within the organi- organization, uh, but, I mean, everyone, I mean, I, so far I met at uh, Mintus has, I mean, highly entrepreneurial skills. And, I mean, there is a great deal of uh, teamwork uh, and people uh, cover for, for, for each other. I mean, I've seen lots of competition uh, in the large institutions that I worked in the past. Uh, here, I really feel like uh, we work uh, as a team to build a great product uh, and I mean, uh, benefit from that uh, as a team uh, over the over the long term. So it's 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 really it's really I mean, there are pros and cons, but I mean, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, good. That no, sounds good. It does sound good. Um, so I guess when it comes to building a portfolio, um, and I know when we when we caught up sort of last week, just to discuss this episode, we you talked a little bit about correlation of, of different assets classes um, i'd like you to just give me a bit more of a, an insight into you know, what correlation is you know what is correlation versus uncorrelated and maybe how art fits into that as well
1: yeah of course of course um correlation is the is the direction uh, of two variables or in this case two asset classes uh the direction where they are going it doesn't quantify the relationship; it just tells you whether two different asset classes move in the same direction and to what degree, uh, or in the in the opposite direction. So, if the correlation coefficient is is, is positive, it means that those asset classes move uh, move most of the time in the same direction. If it's all the time, it's uh, one. The correlation coefficient is one. That means po- perfectly positively correlated. If it's zero uh, point five uh i can't say it's 50% of the time but it shows that it's that uh, they are not always moving in the same direction and when we talk look at uh, equities or bonds where you have daily liquidity these uh, are calculated on a daily basis so uh usually you don't have perfectly positive positive uh, correlation if it's negative it means that it's moving in in, in different uh, different directions so when you are creating a portfolio obviously people i mean aim to create a diversified portfolio but they usually miss the miss the correlation part so you can have uh 20 equities uh in in your portfolio but if those 20 equities are highly correlated don't really have uh, a good diversification in your portfolio because they all move up and i mean uh, move down Uh, at the same time so when there is volatility in the market uh, you see big drawdowns in your portfolio Um, so uh, when you create a portfolio you aim to uh, uh, minimize the standard risk of that portfolio and the standard risk of that portfolio is calculated based on the uh, correlation the covariance between different different asset classes And you can only minimize that if you have negatively correlated asset classes in in your portfolio. Obviously, it reduces your returns as well, because while you are making money on one asset class, you're losing money on the other uh, when it's negatively correlated. But over the long term, it really improves the risk adjusted returns returns on your portfolio. Um, So uh, you need to put uh, different asset classes. Bonds, equities, commodities, and uh, and alternatives. Uh, alternatives could be, I mean, different asset classes. I mean, think about a market neutral uh, uh, fund, uh, a hedge fund, uh, for example. If it's market neutral, it means that it doesn't have any uh, market risk. Uh, it has the same amount of uh, uh, market uh, correlation. I mean, and also. I mean long market and also short market uh, that cancel each other out. So I mean those funds uh, really I mean try to benefit from uh, the difference between the uh, unique returns of different uh, different stocks, uh, for example. So you buy one airline which you think you'll do um, you I mean it will do good and sell another one uh, which you think it will uh, it will not perform. So if you're right, then you generate returns. If you're not mm-hmm. right, then The returns are obviously negative, but this trade, uh, if it's market neutral, is not affected from the uh, volatility in the the markets. So uncorrelated uh, asset classes uh, like hedge funds, uh, um, sometimes uh, real estate, uh, private debt, uh, and art, uh, usually... Improves the risk-adjusted returns uh, on a on a on a portfolio, and when you look at art specifically, it actually has negative correlation. If you look at the past forty years, uh, not actually the, the past sixty years data since nineteen sixty-two, uh, it has negative correlation with uh, with the major indices and and also bonds as well. Uh, the only thing that has a positive correlation, but not to a high degree, it's only zero point three. Uh, As with uh, commodities, uh, including including precious metals, so uh, if you had art in your portfolio since the beginning of the year, uh, your drawdown in your portfolio would have been much, uh, much less. I was actually looking at, I mean, uh, I mean the the returns over the past uh, six months on S&P and uh, Nasdaq and the global bond index. I mean, I mean they have been uh, down between twelve to. 24%, 24%, so these are big drawdowns, and you'll need uh, significantly higher returns uh, in the next uh, year or two to cover those those losses. Uh, um, but, I mean, art has been performing uh, despite all the turbulence in the markets, quite well. I mean, over the past uh, few weeks, there have been historic sales in, in auctions and, I mean, some artists have uh, have Made new new records in terms of uh, in terms of sales and valuations because it's a scarce asset, yeah. and the number of people who are uh, who, who are willing to buy these uh, uh, assets are increasing uh, every year.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask sort of like what role does art play in times of uncertainty? Because traditionally, you know, investors tended to you know run towards more cash or gold was always one. But if I look at A lot of the you know major asset classes most of them seem down at the moment apart from maybe energy uh, as an obvious one and and things like that so yeah is is art sort of in that sort of similar bracket to gold when there's times of uncertainty certainly as a more of a long-term play
1: yes especially during times of high high inflation so actually during times of high inflation People don't tend to hold cash because every day that cash is losing uh, value. There is no real yield uh, for that uh, cash. It's actually negative, negative yield. So people, I mean, prefer, investors prefer uh, tangible assets during times of uh, inflation and turbulence. They buy real estate. It's not liquid. But it usually hedges against inflation. They buy precious metals, or they buy, uh, they buy art, or any scarce asset. So, because inflation, uh, why do we have inflation? Because there has been lots of uh, money. So you increase the money supply, which increases uh, the inflation. So when you increase the supply of that, I mean, the, uh, it, it uh, trickles down to to, to inflation. But you cannot I mean create another uh, Andy Warhol painting, so because I mean you cannot increase the supply of that, uh, it has always uh, worked uh, as an as a, as an inflation inflation hedge. Uh, but I mean the liquidity part is, is is true. It's not a liquid investment. You cannot buy it today and sell it the next day. If you do sell it the next day, you'll probably lose uh, lose money on that as well. Uh, same as real estate, right? I mean there are i mean uh, transaction costs on that as well. Uh, you won't probably sell it at the same price uh, the next day uh, as you can sell uh, a stock. That's why I mean the, these alternative asset classes, liquid uh, asset classes, should not have a significantly high uh, allocation in your on, in your portfolio, but it should be there uh, because it really helps uh, helps your uh, returns over the long term.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing with art that, that I found is that there's there's also that emotional attachment to a particular piece. And I know it would be great to hang some of these pieces in your in your office or in your house. And it's probably unrealistic for a lot of people to be able to do that. But the idea of that you'll you partially own an Andy Warhol, for example, I think that's quite quite exciting, really.
1: It is, it is indeed. Uh... Yeah. And uh, we give investors an investment uh, uh, certificate. So it's like a share certificate uh, with a picture of if it's Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol's portrait on it. So yeah, you may not be able to put an Andy Warhol on your wall, but you can uh, frame the uh, share certificate uh, that, I mean, you actually own a piece of Andy Warhol. And I think, I mean, with new uh, generations, I think position of assets are are changing I mean, with the emergence of all these uh, shared ownership of cars uh, real estate like with airbnb and uber uh, uh, people of new generations want to be a part of a community they don't want to possess they want to share uh, they want to share the the knowledge they want to share the ownership so with mintus we are also allowing uh, allowing that you can be a part of uh, a community who owns uh, Andy Warhol's self-portrait.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And for people then that are listening to this and thinking, I want to learn more about Mintus, um, What you know? Where would you recommend they they go? Um,
1: uh, we have a, a fully fledged platform. It's Uh you can see I'm still old-fashioned, I mean, uh, putting WWW in the, in the beginning. <laughs> uh, so on the platform, uh, investors uh, need to uh, first register on the platform. Uh, we are an FCA-regulated uh, firm. Uh, first, every investor needs to be classified, so they need to complete an appropriateness test. Uh, they need to be either classified as a high net worth or as sophisticated investors. Uh, who had some experience in alternative uh, investments. So once they pass the appropriate test, then there's a KYC section. So we need to identify investors. So they need to uh, go through KYC with their passports and utility bills. I mean, similar to any other uh, bank or financial intermediary. And once they uh, pass the KYC, they have full platform access. And on the platform, currently they will see two uh, offered uh, art pieces. One of them is by Andy Warhol, a self-portrait, and the other one is by George Kondo, uh, a very large uh, painting which is up for, uh, for sale. Uh, as I mentioned before, the minimum investment amount is 2,500 uh, pounds uh, per, uh, per painting. Um, uh, we have all the uh, documentation regarding this artwork on the website under documentation. Uh, the investors can see the condition report. They can uh, read it through. They can see the evaluation report. There's key master documentation, investor memorandum. So we have all the materials and all the transparency for an investor to understand what they are investing investing in. And uh, we also write all the risks. I mean, regarding I mean, uh, liquidity and uh, and price on the website as well. So once they determine their uh, investment amount on the website, uh, they need to digitally sign that they have uh, read uh, all these uh, all these documents. And it then takes to the payment page uh, on the payment page uh, for uh, we have open banking. So it's quite easy to use in the in the UK. Uh, but I mean, uh People from uh, other jurisdictions, they can uh, do their investments through bank, uh, bank transfer. Uh, we use an independent uh, FCA-regulated custodian, so, so the money doesn't come to Mintus, it goes to that custodian. It's an escrow account until the full investment uh, is fulfilled. The money doesn't go to the current owners of the, uh, of the artwork. So it goes from the escrow to the current owners uh, of the artwork once the sale is uh, is completed. So it's, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a quite an efficient uh, system uh, through our uh, platform. Uh, in order to educate investors, we write uh, blogs. Uh, I've written a, a blog uh, about alternative investments actually uh, on the website, uh, which uh, the investors can have a look through. Uh, there are other. Uh, uh, interesting pieces uh, on contemporary art specifically on uh, warhol or kondo uh, or the recent uh, recent record uh, record auctions so there are interesting reads uh, reads as well uh on the on the on the platform
0: fantastic and uh, i'll make sure i link um the website into the show notes then people can can access it and, and have a look themselves I'll take a bit of a left turn now, because I always find it very interesting when we have people on the podcast with just a broad range of experiences, and I know you've sort of alluded to your career before you joined Mintus. So selfishly, I'm just going to ask you a couple of a couple of questions when it comes to just managing I guess finances and and wealth. but over the course of your your career, what have been some of the biggest learnings that that you've maybe come across when it comes to to building and increasing someone's wealth?
1: Um, first, I'll, I'll, I'll share my own experience. So, because I first started investing myself, uh, fresh out of I mean, uh, college and the, the, the stock market, uh, and I've lost a lot of money. Because I mean, I, I mean, it was really a game at the beginning. And I think uh, over, the, um, over the period of easy money uh, for lots of I mean new investors in the market. Uh, that they've invested in uh, these meme stocks through Robinhood. Uh, they haven't done their research. And when I started, I, I haven't done in a lot of research before investing. I mean, I've invested because one of my friends that made money from another stock and uh, told me to buy another stock. Uh, and actually, after that, I mean, two years of losing money, then I switched to equity research. Then I did, I started doing research this time extremely more in that research because I' mean analyzing all the company financials. I mean talking to people at the, at, at the company uh, and get an understanding about the, uh, about the future value uh, of, of a company when we're talking specifically about, about about stocks because what you are buying is you are always buying the future cash flows of, uh, of a business. So what it did in the past, May not, I mean, uh, may may not be an indicator of what that company will do in the uh, in, in the future. So you really need need to do a lot of research and understand that company before uh, investing into that uh, into that company. Uh, so that's the first thing that I've uh, I've learned uh, and uh, I mean I've experienced by by losing a lot of a lot of money. Um, the second thing is it's. Investing has to be always long term. I mean, uh, when you are in the game, uh, and I hate to call it a, a game, uh, investing. Most people, I mean, uh, think of it as a as a game, especially when make then when they make quick gains uh, in the in in the short term. And then people think that this is sustainable, and they think that they're uh, market wizards and geniuses. Uh, but in fact, they were just uh just lucky i mean it's as if you're going into a casino and you had the uh i mean uh, the right number on roulette on the first time but you end up losing all your money at the end of the uh, at the end of the day so that's what happens to most uh, most people um and whether you invest in stocks or bonds find the best companies out there by reading a lot of uh, research and different uh, different opinions and invest in the long term uh don't i mean look at short-term volatility, uh, when you f- follow the markets very closely, especially on a daily basis, you are affected uh, from lots of biases. I mean, I mean, these have been discussed a lot. I mean, that's a whole different subject Subject on behavioral finance. Uh, I mean, it goes down. You think that it will go down further than you, I mean, uh, sell the stock. Uh, at a loss, then the next day it goes up, then you chase the stock, buy it at a higher price, then it goes down again, so it becomes a a spiral. You just buy, uh, uh, invest in a company uh, for the long term and just monitor the company's performance, whether it's meeting the expectations. You only sell when the outlook on that company has, uh, has actually changed or you're convinced that it's changed. Um, I mean, I've written lots of research reports uh, reports about fair, fair market value of a, uh, uh, of a company. The fair market value is actually the market value that is trading today. I mean, it's uh, determined by a collective uh, conscious of millions of people investing into that stock. It only reaches my target value. Uh, as an analyst uh, for that specific stock when everyone believes or sees what I see in that company, right? So then my reality becomes their reality. Uh, So that's also, I mean, uh, quite important. I mean, uh, do research. I mean, think about the long-term growth of a a company. Uh, Again, uh, I think liquidity and the markets, works against the, uh, the investors. Uh, personally, I embrace the liquidity because it doesn't allow me to make mistakes on a daily basis uh, in the market. So, I mean, if I cannot sell it when there is a liquidity event, hopefully at a at a better valuation, then I'll probably generate uh, generate better returns from a portfolio allocation uh, perspective. Obviously, I mean, uh, don't put all eggs in the same basket. Uh, Diversify into different asset classes. Look at the correlation uh, between different asset classes. Uh, uh, Every portfolio needs to have a portion of equities, bonds, commodities, and alternative asset classes. The proportion of these changes from investor to investor because it's really based on uh, that specific investor's risk profile so if you are a high risk investor maybe you can have more equities or alternatives in your portfolio if you are low risk uh and as you know i mean risk and return are, are correlated so uh low risk means uh, uh, lower uh returns you should have more uh, treasuries uh, bonds in your uh, in your portfolio so it's not uh i mean i cannot give any uh, advice uh, on uh, the exact allocation a portfolio should be. Everyone's should, be, should portfolio should be different, but uh, the rule of thumb is to diversify, and when diversifying, put assets with uh, zero to negative uh, correlation to improve your risk-adjusted returns.
0: Yeah, and I guess like for me personally, I I, I tend to. You know I've tried picking a few individual stocks and probably had similar experience to, to you when you was a bit younger. So recently I've started to focus a little bit more on you know broader low-cost index investing. And if you if you look at what's been the best performing assets over the last maybe hundred years it's it's pretty much been the US equities market has just yes. been you know performed really really well and um, a lot of the commentators that have been in the space for many years, like you know Warren Buffett and certainly uh, his generation, would say you pretty much can't go wrong if you invest in the in the US equities over the long term. But when I look at that and think, yeah, okay, that's that makes sense. Maybe that's where I should portion a lot of my my investments. What concerns me a little bit is that yes, the US equities market has done that over a hundred years, but will it do it for another hundred years? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, and you've got people like Ray Dalio from um, Bridgewater Associates saying that he thinks the US has a 40 percent chance of a, of a civil war, for example. So things like that made me think, oh, you know, maybe like you say, a more diversified portfolio across maybe a, a global um, with a global reach is a better a better bet. Um, but I've just I've just started to get a bit. Unsure as to where to, to where to invest. Not that you can give me advice, but that's certainly what what I've been thinking about.
1: I mean, my personal experience is I never account for I mean unique. Uh, I mean, low probability unique events uh, when building a, a portfolio. Those things could happen. I mean, COVID that uh, that happened, uh, and it will happen. I mean, similar things will happen uh, in the in the future uh but 100 years is a very i mean uh, statistically significant uh, history so we can it may not be at the at the same rate uh but we can assume that over the long term uh the asset prices will uh will increase uh but i agree with you that it doesn't have to be U.S. equities only. It's, I mean, I mean, uh, there's U.K. equities, European equities, Japan equities, emerging market equities. So uh, still, it has to be a combination uh, of all. And uh, passive indices, or in other words, exchange-traded funds, ETFs, are a very good way to get exposure to those because you cannot look at 5,000 stocks yeah. and cherry-pick the best among those 5,000 stocks I mean, as an analyst, I covered 30 stocks uh, in in detail, and that was still a very high number. I knew those 30 companies in and out, but, I mean, uh, there are thousands of other stocks. But if you invest in a diversified portfolio in an ETF and allocate that ETF, uh, allocate your portfolio in different ETFs, you can look at the MSCI World Index, for example. What portion is U.S. equities, let's say? It's 40% is U.S. equities. You choose, allocate 40% of your equity portfolio. Let's say it's 50% of your total liquid. Well, then you allocate 20% to U.S. equities and you choose a few ETFs within the U.S. equities. You can go thematic. You can, I mean, uh, uh, you, mo- you might have read uh, the future themes that will do well. You can invest in these themes, or you, you don't bother, you just buy the S&P 500 and allocate that uh, U.S. equity portion. Then you choose uh, an emerging markets uh, funded diversified one. You put your uh, 10% allocation, if it is 10% in the MSCI world, to emerging markets equities, and you do that for each asset class. And thereby, you will have enough diversification within each asset class as well.
0: Yeah. And is there anything that you'd like to tell a younger Vedat about investing that? That you, you know now, but you didn't know back then
1: um again, it will be the same I mean subject. I mean I've invested in Tesla uh, very early on, and I just i mean sold it with a 30 percent of profit. I mean, looking back, i mean I, I would have made incredible i mean built incredible wealth over time if I had to hold on to it uh, uh, and this was like five years ago I mean when I first invested in, uh, in Tesla.
0: So you say don't uh, don't sell would you say don't sell <laughs> I mean it, again
1: uh as I mentioned before, if you don't think the outlook for that company uh has changed, I mean just i mean uh hold on to it and uh i so far, I've generated the most wealth from illiquid investments i i mean started investing in startups uh, four years ago uh i actually. I, I was. I became first an investor in Mintus and then become uh, a part of uh, Mintus. uh My best returns have been uh, through startups, and now, I mean, today, uh, you can invest. I mean, uh, in startups on a fractionalized manner as well. I mean, there are. I mean, alternative assets are becoming more and more accessible to uh, to masses. So, uh, build conviction on something. Do not allocate a significant portion of your portfolio, and uh, uh, wait uh, wait until it generates decent uh, decent returns. Don't I mean don't trade. I mean I wouldn't trade. I've stopped trading a few years ago, uh, at all.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, good advice. Good advice. Well, for that. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, it's been great to talk to you. I appreciate you sharing your experiences as well as uh, explaining you know more about Mintus. I think it's a, it sounds like a great company. Um something that will be on my radar uh, going forward. So I look forward to seeing how Mintus progresses and and also you and, and you and your career and I wish you wish you the best of luck.
1: Thank you so much. It was it was my pleasure I mean, to talk to you.